Victorian-era London. The streets of that ancient city are thick with London fog, which, by the way, was a soupy blend of real fog and industrial pollution. In the poor, sleazy, criminal neighborhood of Whitechapel, women of the night are nothing unusual. In fact, the nighttime streets are filled with drinkers, gamblers, prostitutes, opium addicts, beggars, and criminals in general. But in 1888, someone else stalks the streets, lanes, and alleyways, courtyards of Whitechapel, a serial killer who calls himself Jack the Ripper. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. Welcome to Fangs and Folklore, where we look at all things horror and paranormal and take a deeper look than many other podcasts. I am your expert host, master of all things paranormal, horror, and terrifying. I'm a horror writer from the haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my frightening world. Please check out my books on Amazon, the first one being Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's, uh, for, it's a six-book six series called The Gravediggers. They are a failing punk rock band who keep running across all these monsters of different sorts, and they and their ridiculous friends have to try to defeat them. So check it out. Uh, I also have a standalone book coming out after the series, which means pretty soon, which is about Jack the Ripper. So you have to check that out. Uh, the series, the Gravedigger series, uh, it's hilarious, it's terrifying, and it's super entertaining, and I promise you'll like it. Okay, as with all of my serial killer podcasts, I make my disclaimer, I am against any and all harm to anyone. Okay, I say that because, you know, sometimes if you're into horror or you find serial killers interesting, people get the wrong idea. They think that you're a bad person or a killer or something demented, but that's not true. A lot of people like horror horror movies, horror books, the horror genre. A lot of people are interested in serial killers, not because we support what they did, but because it's just it's, it's, it's intellectually stimulating to think about how any human could, could reach that level. All right, so this is, by the way, the 50th episode of Fangs and Folklore. Yay, 50th episode. Holy moly. Let's celebrate with our usual wine tasting. Okay, I'm going to flash the, uh, the label on the screen. Tonight's choice is Chateau Onouche Pessac Lagnon. Uh, Lyon, and it's uh, a 2014, and that appellation is Bordeaux, of course. That appellation is more Merlot than Cabernet Sauvignon. This one's 60% Merlot. All right, so I have it here in my, um, you know, the skull goblet that I found here in the haunted castle. Uh, and of course, the studios of Fangs and Folklore are down in the uh, basement uh, of the empty abandoned slash haunted castle that I found in the mist I ran across in the midst of the uh, enchanted forest All right and you can see that there's some rust on the wall behind me still haven't gotten that problem solved so let's take a look so we're gonna take a, a sniff <clears throat> all right very nice wow so there's definitely some black fruit like currants uh, plum um, I also note a little bit of even tobacco on the nose all right let's take a taste Yeah. Okay, definite uh, dark fruit, right, really. Currants, plums. There's some graphite, a little bit of minerality graphite, um, if you're familiar with that tasting note. Some tobacco, for sure. Uh, there's a little bit of mint. The acidity is nice. It's there, but it's not overwhelming. Uh, I'd say it's medium body, and I would say that the uh, tannins are medium to firm, but the acidity kind of balances those out. This will definitely improve with aging. This is a 2014, so it's eight years old. But uh, with some aging, I think it could age probably another 10 years or more. So it's a good, solid Bordeaux. You know, Bordeaux's of all the wines tend to, well, tend to be long agers, long agers. Okay. 
And if you hear something in the background, that's the castle cats that uh, castle cats that I adopted here in the castle, and they're making a lot of noise. So. All right. So who hasn't heard of Jack the Ripper? In most of the world, he's by far the most famous and infamous serial killer in history. Something about the creepy environment that he killed in, the, the time period, the Victorian era, tends to be romanticized. The miserable, desperate conditions of uh, the Whitechapel neighborhood, his brutal MO, modus operandi, the fact that he got away with his skills, <laughs> basically he got away with them. No one, he was never caught. And again, that London fog, the dark nights lit by gas lamps, no electricity yet. You know, it's just a very haunting, romanticized uh, kind of environment. One that's great for a horror movie. And this was, of course, a real-life horror movie. So much could be said about Jack. We know a lot about the, kill, the crimes. Um, and so a lot could be said, but it would take an entire series of podcasts to cover all that. So I, your faithful fangs and folklore host, have condensed it all, the centuries of knowledge and study, into one podcast. So... What I like to do is take a look at the victims, those poor ladies whom everyone often forgets were the real victims here. Jack was the killer. Uh, we look at the kills. I'll present various theories to, to who Jack may really have been, give you my opinion. All right, ready to go to Victorian London, all aboard. So in the East End, which is where Whitechapel was, East End general area of London, this was a poor area, uh, poor crime-ridden area in that time in the Victorian era. And... Around this time, there were 11 different murders called the Whitechapel Murders, which stretched from April 3rd, 1888 to, uh, what, 13 February, 1891, so about three years. And the police called these the Whitechapel Murders. Now, uh, we know that not all of them were Jack the Ripper. It was just a dangerous place and a dangerous time to be alive. Not all of them uh, meet the same... Um, you know, M.O. as the Jack the Ripper killers. So probably there were other killers, uh, killers, probably there were individual crimes of passion or crimes like that. Jack was probably the only serial killer active uh, at the time. There are basically five canonical victims, five that we believe, uh, all the experts believe, Ripperologists, police at the time, police now, believe were definitely Jack the Ripper. And there's a, a sixth one that I personally wonder about. So the first kill I'm going to mention um, is Martha uh, Tabram, Martha Tabram. Some people don't consider her to be a victim of the Ripper, but she was murdered on a staircase in George Yard in Whitechapel on August 7th, 1888. Now, she had 39 stab wounds to her body, to her throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, and a general abdomen area. Notice that the killer went for these organs. Uh, additional knife wounds to her breast and vagina. There was definitely a sexual element to Jack's killings, and she had this also. Uh, the, the problem there, though, with this one is that she was not eviscerated as Jack's victims were. I have an idea about this, though. She may not have been a Ripper victim, but I'm not so quick to write her off as one because many serial killers, most serial killers, in their first kill, they're kind of wild and rushed and not very well organized. They're new to killing. They're new to the thrill. They're amateurs. They're messy. They're scared of the, you know, getting caught. So Tabram's wounds, Martha Tabram's wounds, seem to me like the kind of... Uh, work of a first-time kill. Maybe she was Jack's first kill. That's what I personally suspect, but I don't know. The five canonical victims are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. I'm going to put Miss Martha Abram, uh, Tabram sorry, on there too, like I just mentioned. All right, Mary Ann Nichols. This poor lady was discovered 3.40 a.m. So most of these killings, the Jack the Ripper killings, in fact, all of them were done early in the morning, late at night, early in the morning. Um, Friday, uh, Friday the 31st of August, 1888. 
in uh, a street called Bucks Row, which no longer exists. It's been renamed to Durward Street in modern London. So Bucks Row. Um, Nichols had been seen alive an hour before. Uh, she was going toward Whitechapel Road. I'm going to post a map up here in a bit of Whitechapel in Victorian era, a map of where the crimes com uh, were committed. She had her throat cut so deeply that it basically went down to her spine. Uh, in fact, severed some of the spine. So imagine how deep that throat would have to be. Her vagina was stabbed and her abdomen was ripped open and her, her bowels, her intestines were protruding out, falling out. She also had other stab wounds around her abdomen and they were all done in a downward thrusting manner like you, your stereotypical, you know, killing with a knife. All right, which means that the killer was above her. Uh, again, it sounds to me very similar to Annie, to the Martha Tabram that perhaps uh, Marianne Nichols was his second kill, that now he was a little more experienced. He had already done it once. He's a little more used to it. All right, so um, Marianne Nichols. So a week later, we have the uh, body of um, Annie Chapman is discovered. After Marianne Nichols, number two is Annie Chapman. She's discovered Saturday the 8th, September 1888, discovered about 6 a.m., discovered 6 a.m., doesn't mean she was killed then, it was discovered then, uh, on some steps, some small steps up to a doorway in a 29 Hanbury Street, Spitalfields, which was right around there, Whitechapel. Uh, just like Marianne Nichols, uh, Miss uh, Chapman's uh, throat was cut very dearly, all the way back to the, to the spine. Her abdomen also was cut open. Uh, a section of uh, small intestines were taken out and removed. And then um, apparently the autopsy showed also that her uterus, bladder, and parts of her vagina had been removed. So notice the focus on organs. This killer is taking organs. He's going after the organs, right? <clears throat> um, she was seen uh, before the murder at about 5.30 a.m. at 29 Hanbury Street uh, with a dark-haired man wearing a brown deerstalker hat. You ever know Sherlock Holmes wore a deerstalker, so imagine Sherlock Holmes' hat and a dark overcoat. He was described specifically as, quote, shabby genteel, which means that he was, he was not low class. He was what we might call upper middle class, but a bit shabby, as if maybe he was on the downside of it. Um, and she heard the man say, the witness Chapman, uh, I'm sorry, the witness uh, Elizabeth Long heard the man say, will you? And, he, uh, and then um, Chapman said, yes. So, will you? Yes. Probably asking, you know, she's a prostitute, probably asking, will you have sex with me? They agree, you know, yes. Okay. So, uh, they were both killed, you know, Elizabeth, uh, I'm sorry, um, Marianne Nichols and Annie Chapman killed early in the morning. Okay. Um, we have next Elizabeth Stride. And uh, she and Catherine Eddowes were killed very, sim very close to one another, both in time and in location. They were both killed in the early morning on the 30th of September, 1888, which was a Sunday morning. Uh, Elizabeth Stride uh, was discovered in Dutfield's Yard off of Burner Street, which no longer exists in modern London and Whitechapel. She had been uh, killed by a cut across her neck, as always, very deep, severed her left carotid artery and her trachea, and then terminated right here under her jaw. Okay, so it's kind of an upward kill. Um, she, her body was not... Uh, mutilated any more than that. So the question is, was she truly a ripper kill? She's considered yes because of the throat cutting down to the, the spine. Some people thought maybe he was caught or maybe, you know, he heard people coming and he had to rush off. Something spooked him. Um, some people say they had seen her uh, in the company of a man and uh, he was described as 
fair, uh, kind of like fair skin and even ruddy hair, like red hair, uh, shabby dressed. Others said, though, no, he was well dressed. So maybe he was shabby genteel. That's the only real description we have. Uh, he had a mustache and a kind of reddish mustache, reddish hair. Uh, you know, so not your stereotypical uh, uh, English person, uh, more like maybe uh, Irish or something like that. Then we have um, Catherine Edo. She was found right around the corner in Mitre Square, but actually uh, in the city of London. Now, if you know anything about London, the city of London is one square mile called the Square Mile. And it's right near Whitechapel, too, the borders there. So she's found not too far away, uh, 45 minutes after Stride is found. Again, her throat was cut down to the spine, ear to ear this time. Edo's abdomen was ripped open, uh, long wound and intestines had been taken out, placed over her right shoulder. Uh, some of them had been missing, some of her intestines. Her left kidney and her uterus, uterus excuse me, had been removed. Her face had been slashed up. Her nose cut off, cheeks slashed, and um, in, through her eyelids had been cut too. Not her eyeballs, but her eyelids. A, a triangular cut, which was uh, here on each cheek, pointed up like that, two triangles, okay? So uh, part of her ear was missing. All right, so uh, the surgeon who did the autopsy for Ms. Eddowes said that the mutilations would have taken, quote, at least five minutes, close quote. All right, so what happened there? Maybe, you know, maybe um, Ripper first with uh, Annie Chapman. I'm sorry, Elizabeth Stride. Let me not confuse the victims. Maybe Elizabeth Stride, he got spooked. He killed her. He was going to cut her up, got spooked. He heard someone coming, so he leaves comes across Edo's, kills her, and then does his organ removal. Focus always on the female organs, the uterus, the vagina, and the breasts. There was uh, Catherine Edo's apron covered in blood was found nearby, and on it, above it, on the wall, was written in chalk, the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Jews is misspelled J-U-W-E-S. So the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. We wonder, was that associated with the kill with her bloody apron, or was it just random graffiti that was already there? Whatever case, it seems to be blaming Jews for this, perhaps, you know, maybe to throw the police off the case. But Whitechapel at that time was very anti-Semitic, and the graffiti there was not, you know, it was very common, not unusual at all. Uh, okay, we have Mary Jane Kelly. She, uh, she is the most mutilated of all. She lived in a tiny room at 13 Miller's Court off Dorset Street, Dorset Street, sorry, in Spitalfields. She was found at 10.45 a.m., November 9th, uh, 1888, but had been killed earlier, obviously, early in the morning. Now, she was hacked up the most, and um, uh, there's a crime scene photo I'm going to put up for you, uh, and you can see it's, you know, Victorian-era photography, not very advanced or high definition, but you can see the, how terrible she was cut up. Uh, many people believe, well, she was a prostitute. Many people believe that Jack had hired her. She had, you know, suggested they go back to her room and then he kills her. And then he has all the time in the world. The doors close and locked, the windows shut, uh, all the time in the world. So he takes his time and really relishes, savors this kill. If you, if you're familiar at all with conditions in Whitechapel, people like this, uh, prostitutes and very poor and homeless, they uh, found money every day and lived in, they were rented a room for the night, basically. Uh, it could have been a flop house, a boarding house. Apparently, Mary Jane Kelly rented this little room on 13 Miller's Court regularly, like paid rent, but it was tiny. I mean, really, really small. So uh, that's the conditions people lived in at that time. Okay, so we see that her face had been, by the police, quote, hacked beyond all recognition, close quote. Her throat cut down to the spine, that's the MO, abdomen opened and almost 
all of the organs taken out. Okay, so uterus, kidneys, one breast had been placed here beneath her head. And then um, other of her organs, like intestines, had been placed down by her feet. Sections of her abdomen and thigh, her, her thigh had been cut down to the bone, and that thigh and some part of her stomach was placed at a table by the bed, and then the heart was missing and you know, was not recovered. So we see the same MO, right? Jack's MO. Uh, killing with a cut down to the spine, cutting the throat, then uh, mutilation, removal of organs, fascination with organs, right? Something's going on there in the mind of the killer. Um, I want to make, you know, the criminal investigation of these kills. And yes, uh, um, uh, Mary Jane Kelly is considered the last canonical Ripper's victim. There were some other bodies found in the area later, some of them cut, but none of them were the exact M.O. More, some of them look more like a gang hit or something like that. So those are the five canonical. And I, again, add Martha Tabram. Now, police investigation at the time, forensic investigation, you know, think about it. In the Victorian era, what was that? I don't know if you heard that noise. It sounds like the ghosts in the castle are getting a little stirred up tonight. They don't maybe, they don't like the talk of, of murder, remembering their own deaths, perhaps. So in Victorian England, no knowledge of DNA evidence, not even the knowledge of fingerprint evidence. It would have been much easier then to commit a murder and get away with it. You know, uh, almost, almost easy as long as no one caught you in the act. Even if you witnessed a crime, there was no way to contact the police. They didn't have phones, radios. What you had to do was just run and find one randomly patrolling the street, hope there was one. You find him. He blows a whistle to get the attention of other cops who may or may not be in the area. They follow the whistle, and if all goes right, they find the crime scene. But that, it takes a long time to get the police then, right? You think these days you call 911, you think the police take a long time to get there. Imagine having to run, physically find them, tell them about it, run back to the crime scene, right? You have pl the killers had plenty of time to get away. So in Victorian England, in, in London, in Whitechapel, it's very easy to get away with murder. Very easy. Also, there was some eyewitness evidence, like I mentioned. Eyewitness evidence is notoriously unreliable in general, I mean, even to this day. Even the most well-intentioned eyewitnesses to an event or a crime contradict one another on basic facts all the time. My father, in fact, once witnessed a car wreck on a bridge, and he ran to see if he could help the people. And there were, uh, he, he had to be a witness of the trial. And they asked him on the stand, how many people were in the car? He said, three. He said, you sure about that? Yes, I saw it. Three people, I'm sure of it. There were four in the car. There was a person that he didn't even, I mean, he'd seen him, but he forgot about him. That's my father. He's a smart, honest man, you know. So uh, eyewitness testimony is terribly unreliable. Basically, you know, there's, there's no forensic evidence in that era. You had to catch someone in the crime or get a confession to really convict them. So it's no wonder Jack acted so bold, boldly and openly, right? The chances of catching him were, were tiny. Add to this, you had pre-electric gas lamp lighting in that time. The London fog, as I mentioned, was both fog and industrial pollution mixed together in this kind of toxic soup. And the general criminal nature of, White, of Whitechapel, it was easy to get away. He hears someone coming, there's fog, just duck into an alley. You know, there's no light. Super easy. Now, during the criminal investigation, many letters were written to the police, hundreds, by the way, uh, in fact, and many of them claiming to be from Jack. However, the experts, the police then and the police now and expert ripperologists, believe that three, only three, could have been genuinely from Jack the Ripper. The first one's called the Dear Boss Letter because it begins Dear Boss, which, by the way, interesting, boss is what people who have been to prison or jail call the police, boss. That's what you call your, uh, you know, the officers in prison. Hey, boss, especially federal 
penitentiary with a long term, long sentence. Dear boss. Second letter was a postcard from Saucy Jack, called himself Saucy Jack. And then the third was a letter called a from hell letter, from hell. Okay, the dear boss letter, um, it was uh, received by the press, forwarded to the police, thought to be a hoax. However, the uh, Catherine Eddowes, um, her ear was found in the letter also, if, I be- if I'm not mistaken. Um, so uh, this is first also when the name Jack the Ripper was used. The signer called himself Jack the Ripper. The Saucy Jack letter uh, was also received by the press and was uh, similar to the Dear Boss letter. It mentioned uh, the double kill. Remember the two killed it, it near one another and uh, close in time. And uh, finally, the From Hell letter, uh, the handwriting and the style are different from the other ones. In fact, if it, it looks like it was written by... I don't know, you know, someone who didn't know English, uh, maybe not a native English speaker, someone with not great handwriting. And in the letter, the letter came in a box. In that box also was half a human kidney preserved in wine. Uh, Edo's, uh, Catherine Edo's kidney had been removed. Presumably it was her kidney. And the writer claimed that he fried and ate the other half of the kidney. Fried it and ate it. Okay, um... The, uh, the kidney itself was examined by Dr. Thomas Openshaw of the London Hospital, and he said, yes, it is a human kidney. Yes, yes, it is from the left side. But that's all he could say. So the from hell letter, I'm going to read it for you. It's very short. Okay, it says, it starts off, from hell, Mr. Lusk, by, that's a policeman, Mr. Lusk, sore, maybe sorry, but S-O-R, I send you half the kidney, spelled K-I-D-N-E, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman's preserved, preserved, misspelled, it to you, the other piece I fried and ate, it was very nice, N-I-S-E, I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer, signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Uh, so the misspellings, are a lot of misspellings here, let me read the whole thing without telling you, let me just read it straight through. From hell, Mr. Lusk, sore, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, the other piece I fried and ate, it was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. That's the whole letter. A lot of misspellings. Experts believe that of all the hundreds of Jack the Ripper letters that were sent, obviously many of them fake or pranks, this one bears the most marks of authenticity. The spelling and the grammar and the random capitalized words indicate someone who's not a native English speaker but maybe he did that on purpose to throw them off. You never know. Also, I find that some of the nouns are capitalized, common nouns. That's a trait of German language, but that, may, that, may, that might not mean anything. Now, suspects. Okay, there are 31 main theories of who Jack the Ripper was, main theories, and hundreds of minor ones. Obviously, we can't look at them all. But I've just chosen a few that I think are kind of interesting. So let's take a look at some of these theories about who Jack the Ripper was. All right, the first theory is... Serwin Antonowicz Klosowski, I don't speak Polish, so I hope my pronunciation all right, took the English name George Chapman, no relation to Annie Chapman, the victim. He was a Polish man who lived in the UK. Uh, he poisoned three of his wives and was caught for it. He was called the Borough Poisoner and was hanged in 1903 for a triple murder. Now, he lived in Whitechapel during the Ripper murders, and uh, he worked as a barber. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> he's a poisoner, poisoner, a killer, right, with a sharp knife by your ear. Anyway, 
Uh, he was the favorite suspect of an inspector, Frederick Aberline, who was an inspector at the time. But notice that he killed with poison, di totally different MO than the Ripper murders. He never, there's no evidence that he ever, you know, slaughtered, killed with a knife, cut to the neck. And it is very unheard of for serial killers to totally change their MO like that. If anything, they do to throw, th throw the cops off. But for them to just change it like that is unusual. So some people are skeptical. An interesting uh, character, another suspect, was John Pizer, or Pizer. He was also Polish. He was a bootmaker. And there was a person in Whitechapel at that time called Leather Apron. His, his nickname was Leather Apron. And he was supposed to be this, this kind of violent guy who wore a leather apron. John Pizer was falsely uh, accused of being Leather Apron. Someone told the police that he was Leather Apron. He wasn't. Leather Apron was someone else, maybe a butcher. So he was actually taken by the police. Uh, they knocked on his door, John Pizer. He went very peacefully. They interviewed him, and uh, he was arrested. But he had strong alibi for the murders. Uh, one, he was staying with relatives, and another, he was actually talking to a police officer, and the police officer remembered. So he was cleared. He was released, um, and not a, you know he was kind of cleared. All right, another possibility: Francis Tumbletti or Tumbletti. He was this man who was known, renowned in the U.S., and he's infamous in the U.S. and in London and in England. He was an Indian herb doctor. Now, if you know anything about the Victorian era, lots of these people traveled around, snake oil salesmen, made these medical promises, sold these little vials of what could have been anything. Sometimes they had cocaine, heroin. Sometimes they just had, you know, what nonsense in them. And uh, he was a quack, but he was known for hating women. Uh, one of his patients died, but he was not persecuted for it. So... He was in England at that time. He was arrested for, for homosexual acts, which you know at that time were illegal. And he had a collection of wombs of uteri that he liked to show to his friends, uh, brag about. He also claimed that he was uh, Jack the Ripper, but you know anyone can claim that. <clears throat> he though, uh, there's no hard evidence of him being Jack. However, he was a you know a possible suspect. He was a weirdo who liked wombs, like <laughs> collect uteri. Another possibility, William Henry Burry. He was, uh, lived in the east end of London, and he killed his wife. Uh, she was a prostitute, so maybe he found out that he killed her by uh, strangling her. He, listen to this, cut up her abdomen after she was dead and then put the body in a trunk. He told the police she had killed herself, but he was caught and uh, hanged. Uh, 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 police investigated him as possible Jack the Ripper, but um, there, you know, no evidence of it except the cutting up of the abdomen. But that alone maybe doesn't prove anything. Another possibility: Thomas Hain Cutbush, who was a medical student, and he was uh, uh, delusional. He uh, was thought to have suffered from syphilis. If you know anything about the era, syphilis was rampant, sexually transmitted disease, and it makes you it messes with your brain, makes lesions in your brain. You kind of go insane. He tried to stab a woman. He was put in uh, a mental hospital. And um, a newspaper, The Sun, suggested that he was Jack the Ripper, but there was no real evidence of this. <clears throat> in fact, however, uh, uh, some, uh, some people believe he was very likely, some authors, uh, novel writers, but there's no evidence. Next one, Robert Donston Stevenson who was a journalist, and he was interested in black magic and the occult. He was a practicer of black magic. He also had mental problems. He had admitted himself into a mental hospital, and 
he wrote a newspaper article. He claimed that black magic was how Jack the Ripper was doing his kills and why he was doing his kills, that he was using the organs in black magic rituals. And so he was a suspect, but they, there's no real evidence connecting him to any of the crimes. Okay, Frederick Bailey Deeming, he was a man who murdered his wife and four children in 1891. He, um, and that was only discovered later. He buried them under his house. He was arrested, tried, found guilty. In prison, he wrote a book and claimed to be Jack the Ripper, but no evidence. Anyone can claim that, right? And these people have mental problems to begin with, and they're murderers to begin with, so we don't know. A very interesting, uh, interesting uh, if you've heard this theory probably, is that uh, an interesting theory is that Prince Albert Victor was um, Jack the Ripper. Uh, this is a... Uh, Someone writing his biography made a passing reference to rumors about this, but there's no real evidence. Supposedly, he um, um, is a big plot, right? A big, a big royal plot associated with this. And the idea was that Prince Albert Victor was had syphilis. He had mental illness, went insane, and but he had an alibi for all the murders. So maybe you've heard that plot. <laughs> this one's fun. Lewis Carroll, yes, the Lewis Carroll who wrote. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. He was named as a suspect by an author, a writer, Richard Wallace, who found supposedly anagrams in his writing. Okay, anagrams in his writing. Which, um, you know, in other words, anagram is a word that can be, uh, in other words, the letters can be rearranged to make a second word. Another word, silent and listen is an anagram. Same letters, rearrange, one is silent, in other words, listen, but it's the same letters. So, um, Wallace argues that he had lots of these in his writings and that he had a psychotic breakdown. Um, he also claims that he wrote a, Lewis Carroll wrote a diary every day in purple ink, but on the days of the murder, he switched to black ink. Uh, however, <laughs> this book, um, <clears throat> the editors of Harper's, uh, he wrote, okay, so Richard Wallace wrote a letter to the editor of Harper's saying, talking about these anagrams in Carroll's writing. However, um, the editors you know, trying to prove that anagrams mean nothing. They made anagrams of Lewis Carroll's writing uh, that confessed to the murder of Nicole Brown and the framing of O.J. Simpson. So it shows you how anagrams, you, you know, you can rearrange letters to make them say anything you want. It's very unreliable. Another possibility, David Cohen, who was a Polish Jew, uh, and remember lots of anti-Semitism at the time, he was a tailor, and he was antisocial, psychotic, uh, very violent, he, um, see, the thing about David Cohen, you know in the U.S., you, when the police or hospital find someone, you don't know their name, we call them John Doe or Jane Doe. David Cohen was what people in Victorian England, police and hospital, called a Jewish person whose identity was not known, David Cohen. So it could have just been, you know, a nonsense name, not his real name. Um, he, by the way, did have a leather apron, which is kind of interesting, that he used for his work. He was very violent. Um, even in the uh, mental hospital, he had to be restrained. And there's uh, the main case for him being the Ripper was that FBI criminologists, criminal profilers, have said that he matches the profile very well. Okay, uh, getting toward the end of the list, uh, James Kelly, not related to Mary Kelly, the victim, he was um, also committed to a mental hospital. And um, the reason that some people think that he was uh, he was Jack is that he murdered his wife by stabbing her in the neck. Again, different, right? Stabbing someone in the neck is different from purposely cutting their throat down to their spine. 
and there's not a very strong case for him. This one is interesting to me, the artist, the English artist, um, Walter Richard Sickert, Walter Sickert. And he was born in Germany, but he also worked in England. Uh, he was, um, <laughs> he had a fascination with the Ripper murders, and he made lots of paintings. Like, he, he painted his own room where he stayed, and the title of the painting was Jack the Ripper's Room. So things like that. He also, what's interesting to me, is that he painted crime scenes before the police had released the details, especially in the um, Mary Jane Kelly crime scene, the last one that was so brutal, and, and Mary Jane Kelly, right, she rented that room. He painted basically a painting that looks remarkably similar to that crime scene. I'm going to show it to you here. And, uh, you know, before, that, before the police had released the details, that's really, gosh, that's really interesting to me. Um, second to last, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the, uh, of course, the Sherlock Holmes books, he thought there was a female killer named Jill the Ripper. He called her Jill the Ripper. And he thought that she was a midwife. Uh, so she could have walked around with blood on her clothes, un, you know, without suspicion because she just gave birth to a child or something, helped to give birth. And would be more easily trusted by the victims than a man. Uh, very unlikely, of course. No, Not much evidence for that. And then finally, there's a different, totally different kind of theory that Jack the Ripper was uh, something supernatural, maybe a vampire, a ghoul, a werewolf, a monster of some sort. The sheer mutilation of the victims, the obvious love of murder and gore and removal of the organs, the butchery um, might indicate this. Of course, you can't prove that. It's just an idea. Um, by the way, the book I'm writing about Jack the Ripper that I mentioned kind of examines that idea. What if he was actually a vampire? Hmm. The sad thing, the truth, is that ultimately we will probably never know the identity of Jack the Ripper. He, remembering he, remember that he killed in the primitive stage of forensic crime analysis. You know, there, there's never going to be the kind of preserved evidence that we have today. Oh, that reminds me. I did want to say one thing about the Walter Sickert, the artist that I mentioned. There was a letter written, okay, so Patricia Cornwell, a crime writer, wrote her book, Portrait of a Killer. I recommend it. It's a good book. And uh, two, two books she wrote about Walter Sickert. She thinks Walter Sickert was Jack the Ripper. And um, she, uh, she says that letters sent to, to Scotland Yard claiming by Jack the Ripper, there was DNA analysis done and Walter Sickert's DNA was found in them. That is true. However... You know, anyone could have written the letters, but I think that's very interesting. Yeah, so probably we're never going to know. Probably never going to know who Jack the Ripper really was. Unless there's new, some, some kind of new compelling evidence. The fact is that he killed, you know, over 130 years ago, and his identity has been lost to time. My opinion, if of all the possible suspects, Walter Sickert, the artist, looks the best to me. I recommend reading Portrait of, a Portrait of a Killer by Patricia Cornwell. No theory is definitive, but I find it to be compelling. You know, the paintings especially. Painting the crime scenes before anyone knew about them. That's, you know, how, how did you know? Uh, so what do you think? Do you have an idea about who Jack the Ripper may have been? Please comment here on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast and by any other means, send me an email. My email address is matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. I'll flash it up on the screen. matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. And the Rippers, you know, the Ripper murders have kind of this certain morbid romanticism about them, the foggy, misty, dark Whitechapel of the Victorian era. 
But don't forget the victims, okay? They're the important ones here. People living in Victorian Whitechapel were generally very poor and miserable. They lived several to a, to a dirty, dingy room often. Sometimes two families had to share one room. They often usually did not have indoor plumbing. No concept of sanitation, okay? Um, disease was rampant. Starvation was very common. Children were often abused or stolen or driven into horrible things like, you know, sex by desperate parents or by, by you know, bad people who would uh, kidnap them. Many, many women had to turn to prostitution just to survive, to avoid, st to avoid starvation. And this put them at huge risk on the street. Remember, there's lots of crime in this area, and it was easy to get away with killing and with crime. These, these poor women, you know, had to go out there and put themselves at risk like that night after night. So I want to say their names again so we don't forget, okay? The five canonical and the six that I believe was a ripper victim, the first kill. Martha Tabram, Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, Mary Jane Kelly. Those are the names that are important. Whoever Jack the Ripper may have been, never forget the victims. Please like and subscribe. I hope you enjoyed learning about Jack the Ripper. I'd love to hear your theories. Now, if you'll excuse me, I uh, have to, um, to go out for the night, <clears throat> walk the streets a little bit. Thanks for listening. Sleep well, if you can.